0: Welcome to Marketing Meets Web3, a podcast that helps marketers navigate the news, trends, opportunities, and insights surrounding Web3. Today's conversation is for information purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice.
1: Hello, Nick. How are you? What is up, Alberto? I'm good. How are you? It's good to be back uh, to the news. It's good to be back recording the news. The news haven't stopped. We've been uh, taking a detour for a project that uh, has taken us a, a long time, I'd say. Uh, this loyalty series, talking about how Web three improves on the loyalty prog- loyalty reward programs that uh, most of, some of these um, some of the companies are using. And uh, well, it's been it's been quite a quite an exercise. Uh, uh, I'm sure that people will like it. But today discussing the news and uh, i wanted to ask you uh, what are you thinking about traveling to germany
2: i don't have any immediate plans why, why do you ask
1: well because uh, if you decided to travel to germany the most uh, available probably option would be to travel with lufthansa which is uh, the airline from uh, this uh, this country and uh, this uh, lufthansa airline is a uh, Starting to do something with NFTs. It's starting to use NFTs from, um, NFTs that live in the Polygon network as part of their, as part of the program, as part of the reward program. Sorry. And, uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just rushing here because I'm a bit excited about this, uh, piece of news because I think it was just a month ago that we were talking about traveling and NFTs. And you were saying, well, probably airlines are not in a rush of, uh, you know, getting into this uh, because they they love their programs as they are. But here we have Lufthansa, which is German. So it's not like they are like super innovators and they're getting into it. So, okay. Your first uh, comments would be.
2: Well, first of all, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be wrong about my prediction. <laughs> you know, I, I was pretty excited to see this as well. I think, uh, you know, seeing a traditional industry like airlines start to experiment with, Web3 technology is pretty exciting. Um, so let me break this program down a little bit and we'll talk about what it means for travelers, how it adds value, and then you know why uh, using the technology underneath, using the Web3 technology underneath is important and interesting. Um, so this is a project that came out of Luthanza's uh, innovation hub. So as a multinational corporation, you can imagine that they have uh, an internal unit that's dedicated to digital innovation. And many large companies have these uh, sort of internal incubators. Um, I've, in my own career, have spent a little bit of time in, in one of those. And, you know, the whole point is for industries that are uh, used to moving slower generally because they have to, right? They might have uh, millions or hundreds of millions of customers. They might have regulatory requirements. They have privacy concerns. They have rollouts that need to happen um, across the globe. So in that kind of business environment, it's, it's really difficult to move quickly. You can't move like a startup. You, you can't make uh, careless mistakes. And, and you really do need to be considerate and thoughtful about your approach. And so these innovation groups inside these larger corporations are generally tasked with looking at the up and coming technologies out there, looking at the opportunities on the horizon and asking the question, how can we as a business make sure that we understand this technology so that if and when it is adopted, we're not left behind and that we actually have a strategy that makes sense and that works with our business. And, uh, you know, we're not uh, caught on our back foot trying to catch up. Um, you know, we've seen that over and over again with technology, people who didn't think the e-commerce was going anywhere and then eventually had to catch up, uh, you know, kind of the Amazon versus Walmart thing. Um, you know, Walmart's definitely caught up and they have a great digital strategy, great e-commerce program. But it's this idea that you can't you can't get too too far in the uh, the past. Right. You, you're, you don't want to be left behind. And so these innovation groups, they're designed to help these companies move forward um, in a thoughtful way. And so the innovation hub inside of Luthanza launched a program. And here's how it works. So airline passengers who are on their flights, they can scan their boarding pass using this app that they download, very familiar experience. And this was, uh, it's, it's branded under Uptrip. And so they scan their pass and then they collect these trading cards. And these trading cards are just, you know, fun artwork about the destinations they're going to. And really they've sort of gamified this whole experience. And so users basically collect these different cards based on their destinations. And once they collect certain combinations of cards, they can redeem rewards against those cards. And so two things happen when they redeem. Number one, they get the reward, which is obviously the value for the user. And these could be things like, uh, you know, uh, first class upgrades. They could be red carpet club stays. They could be. Uh, You know, just ways to enhance the travel experience, very experiential type rewards. And then once they redeem that reward, they can also choose at their option to hold on to that trading card as an NFT, as a digital collectible. And so now they own that thing and it becomes part of their travel experience, their travel portfolio. You know, I think that people... You know, we use social media this way in a little bit or a little bit this way as well, where, you know, we post things, we post our trips, we post our travels, and that becomes sort of our memory book of the places that we've been. And so this is an interesting way to connect not only the reward redemption, but also this experience of owning the travel experience. So that ownership piece and giving that back to customers in a way that they can hold on to and make meaning for themselves. Um, So
1: that's a little bit how the program works. Curious, what are your thoughts? Well, I have I have plenty. Well, I have three. We can discuss them three. But uh, just beginning with the the fact that these NFTs, even though they are created, and I love that part, created uh, using the app from uh, from Lufthansa, then they leave on the Polygon network. Which means that if tomorrow some other airline, I don't know, the Spanish one, for instance, <laughs> goes out and creates uh, their own uh, program for creating NFTs, then uh, well, they would and uses Polygon, of course. Then they would be very easily compatible. Uh, they could be using a different chain. So compatible with we discussed bridges in the past, but uh, well, if they used the same blockchain, it would be it would be very easy to connect them, uh, even though they have they have been created with two different apps, which I think makes it very interesting because. Um, we are now talking about um, loyalty reward programs from um, airlines that are completely different and foreign. I mean, they are both as, as foreign as the countries themselves, right? If I have a, a loyalty program with uh, with Lufthansa, it's very unlikely that it's going to overlap in any way with a a loyalty program that I have with my Spanish airline. So I think that that's that's cool that they will be able to connect. But uh, the part that I love the most, to be honest, is the part uh, of of the user being able to create their own NFT with that. I think think that's a, that's a, I mean, we've discussed gamification before, but this is probably the most interesting part of uh, gamification or or the most uh, interesting way of gamifying the experience for the user.
2: Yeah, you know, going into, or, or touching into something that you just said with regard to these different airlines. So if we just play this out a little bit and, you know, assume that this will not be the last experiment by an innovation group who wants to uh, start getting experience with this technology. We can imagine that we'll have clusters of customers that have collected these badges, these collectibles, these markers of their experiences and their engagement with different brands. And you know, I just I have to ask myself, you know what does that look like? Five years from now, when we have people with these wallets and they've been collecting these different experiences and now marketers are able to take a look into that data, because remember, this is all connected to a public blockchain. And so we're not talking about, you know, personally identifiable information. So it's not like we're putting names and emails and phone numbers or, you know, anything that would be a a risk to personal privacy. We're not putting that on the blockchain, but what we are putting on the blockchain are these markers of engagement. And so that a customer can say, yeah, I I have, you know, five of these travel cards. I've flown a million miles, you know, whatever that marker is. And that becomes very valuable as a way to identify and segment customers, not only by the brand that issues that collectible, but by other brands who want to engage with that customer. And so I think that this leads us down a path where we have brands that are entering these sort of um, alliance loyalty situations and you know this already happens today it's just that it takes a lot more coordination and a lot more technology integration to get those alliances off the ground where in the future it may be as simple as asking the customer to connect their wallet and then based on their personal history and engagement with brands a company will be able to offer them benefits specials you know and welcome them into their own loyalty program or their own uh customer experience
1: yeah I, I love that part and uh, well we need to move on but before before we move on to the next uh, piece of news, which is also about uh, innovation but in a different way. <laughs> I want to I want to highlight one comment here from uh, from the from one executive from this uh, innovation hub, uh, specifically some Christian Baymar and um, and uh, he said that uh, in the announcement about this uh, piece of news that the web 3 is in its early stages as users are curious but still hesitate, dive in and I think we've we've seen uh, we've seen the hesitation uh, plenty of times uh, that's uh, that's I think the most common um, um, feeling I guess when people come across uh, web 3 but I, I love uh, that they are acknowledging it and, and they're thinking okay even if this uh, web 3 arena still uh, creates some, or still incites this hesitation we're gonna create something that's gonna be very easy for people to, uh, to, to, to use. And that also builds some trust in the user. So they feel like, Oh, okay, we can, we can do this. And it kind of works. And uh, it gives me these other advantages. So, I mean, the the only way to go to overcome the hesitation is doing things like this. Uh, so I have to say that I think it's a very, it's a very bold move here. Uh, but a very, a very, I think, interesting move. And, uh, well, hats, uh, hats off, I guess, to, to the Lufthansa guys.
2: Yeah, you know, I I know you want to move on to the next story. But before we do that, I I do want to touch on something there. So this idea that users um, are hesitant to dive in. Very true. You know, I was just at the permissionless conference uh, in Austin, Texas, and lots of people talking about the adoption curve and what do we need to do to get more people into Web 3.0. And this was one of the biggest themes that was talked about is this the idea that, you know, we have to meet people where they are. We can't we can't just throw technology in their face and expect that they're going to get excited about it. You know, nobody gets excited about technology for technology's sake. It's connected to some sort of value or, or benefit in my life. And so the idea that, uh, you know, people are hesitant, I think we need to embrace that. And the answer to that, in my view, is. We need to make sure that the experience is fast, fluid, easy, feels just as familiar as anything that you're using today and is optional for the user. Right? The fact that Lufthansa is saying you don't have to create NFTs from these passes, but if you want to, that's a, that's a really nice way to engage people, meet them where they are, and then help them kind of leap into this when they're ready, if they're ready. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. Hats off to this uh, this initiative. I hope that we see many more of these.
1: Yeah no, very very, very cool. And uh, yes, you need to meet them where they are where they are. If they are flying, you meet them in the flight and, and that's it. <laughs> so So talking a bit about innovation. So we're talking about this innovation half from uh, from Lufthansa. and uh, the next the next piece of news is about a company that has been innovating for for a long time. We need to talk then of uh, Google. Google has a history with um, NFTs with this innovation. That has been uh, sometimes used in games that have been offered through the Google uh, platform, Android, and uh, Google has not been very happy with um, the with ads being uh, being being used in uh, to promote these uh, these games that then offer NFTs and that then go on to other uh, rewards that may be outside of uh, of the game itself. Uh, I think he's been concerned with the fact that some of these Games are actually becoming, or, or using some kind of gambling behind behind the scenes. Anyway, the story, the history of uh, Google with um, with um, blockchain with blockchain based non fungible token games uh, has been has been hard, or has been a a, a bit of a of an up and down. Uh, in, specifically in 2018. The company, uh, Google, uh, turned against the, the blockchain industry uh, alongside other titans. I think this happened also with Facebook. I think it, w- it was when Facebook did this initially. Uh, if you remember, it was when I think Facebook uh, banned the ads of crypto in uh, in the platform. Anything that had crypto on it uh, got banned, I think, in 2018 after the ICO uh, craze. Uh, well, so then they banned this in 2018. And then in 2021... They re- they retreated this uh, this ban admitting again um, ads from exchanges and wallets, but uh, now they are softening their stance on NFT gaming ads in particular. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a change coming from from Google, which I guess. Uh, initially had this knee-jerk reaction of, okay, I don't like what's going on here or I don't understand what's going on here and I'm a bit concerned that some things are not cool and that I may be allowing them. Uh, so I will just stop everything and then they ha- they are slowly uh, opening their hands to more things happening uh, under under Google. Uh, but yes, I, I want to hear your opinion on this.
2: Yeah, so this has been a hot button issue uh, in in the crypto, the blockchain, the Web3 space for some time now. And, you know, I want to start off by saying that I think that the original decision to ban a lot of this advertising was probably the right decision. You know, uh, uh, in the beginning of any sort of emerging technology, you always have speculators, you have, you know, unfortunately scammers or bad actors. And there are lots of people in the space that are definitely trying to or have tried to take advantage of systems to, you know, just take people for a buck. But What's what's changed over the past you know five years as this industry has matured is that there's a lot more nuance now to this whole idea of crypto and blockchain and web3. And I think that you know the people who are making these decisions are starting to realize that we can't just put this all under one umbrella. This is an enabling technology that has as many uses as the internet itself, You know, and so how would we approach this if we just said, well, there are bad people on the Internet and therefore we shouldn't advertise anything that has anything to do with the Internet? You know, that would just be it it wouldn't make any sense. Right. And so it's it's good to see that we are moving forward. We're adding nuance to um, how we characterize the different use cases for NFTs and gaming in particular. You know, I think the use case is so clear uh, that. You know when you're enabling players to own their in-game items, when you're allowing them to take those between games, that's not a financial instrument. That's part of the gameplay. that's the player's reputation. That's already happening in web two games where people are paying real money to you know purchase these things, but then they can't take them anywhere else so it's it's good to see that big tech is kind of opening the aperture and saying, you know there's actually a legitimate use case here for this, and therefore we should allow some sort of advertising. You know, I think um, nothing good comes from hiding in the darkness when it comes to, you know, highlighting the benefits Mm -hmm. of this technology. And so the fact that we have a place now where we can legitimately advertise for this use case and, and a very specific use case, I think is positive because for the public, it creates more awareness. It creates more definition. And I think it ultimately helps consumers feel more comfortable with this technology and really start to understand what it's good for, what it's bad for. And, you know, an outcome of that is I I really do think it'll help consumers actually start to spot bad actors sooner because they'll say if they're seeing advertisement for legitimate use cases and a, a bad actor comes along and tries to You know, run an ad for a scam or something like that. I think it's going to be a lot more apparent to the average consumer that "Mm, that that looks a little shady. Maybe I shouldn't interact with that. Um, So I think this is a positive development.
1: Yeah, I think what excites me more about this is um, that it levels the playground a bit. So far, it's been said that um, NFTs don't make out of sense for games and that people are not really interested in um, owning their own... uh, uh, weapons or, or owning their own uh, items from the game in an NFT form that allows them to then take take them somewhere else, but um, it may be so. This may be there may be some um, some truth in here some truth in here, but I think it's also true that uh, the the playground wasn't leveled. Uh, it, there was uh, the, the possibility of a. Uh, a lot of games that weren't using nfts to advertise and to to compete uh, advertising with others, and then there were there were the games with nfts that weren't able to advertise themselves so of course, the ones that were able to advertise themselves to the users were probably more successful than the ones that uh, that weren't still I think uh, yeah we're going to see what, what happens now if uh, if this um, a- allowance go- goes forward and some of these games start uh, competing in the same uh, Using the same rules, and uh, let's see then if uh, if users are really interested in, in owning their own uh, their own items uh, in the game. And it's it's important, I think, to to also well uh, specify that what Google is allowing for in here is what you were talking about: the possibility of owning these items that you that you need in the game. Like uh, for instance, you will be able to advertise games that allow uh, purchase in-game items like uh, virtual apparel. Or weaponry or armor with better stats, so the, the the usual things that you need to improve in a game, and it's not allowing uh, games that uh, allow you to uh, to stake your NFT to earn rewards or uh, or some other games that promote uh, gambling. As I said, as I said earlier, this was one of the main concerns with uh, with Google because, as as, well, as as we know, the the fact that uh, the blockchain allows you to interact in many different ways um, allows for these things, allows you to, to have an NFT, which may be a weapon, a very, very interesting, like a sword or something. And then you can stake it somewhere and then some rewards uh, that may have some uh, monetary um, value outside of the platform. And that could be then converted to crypto dollars or something. And this is where, uh, this is where the, the, the game stops being a game and, and it starts being something else. Uh, but yeah, so, Google is drawing the line in there, and uh, well, we'll see what happens. But I think it's a it's a good development, and um, I I wonder because you were saying just yes before when I was talking about uh, NFTs that advertise and uh, sorry games that advertise and games that don't. So so do you think this is gonna have an impact uh, in in the competition between these two?
2: Um, you know, it's hard to say. I, I think you know to your point. Uh, Web three gaming is still pretty early, and I think the jury is out in terms of whether or not this is actually um, a benefit that you could the consumers want to see. You know, I think there's very strong opinions on both sides. I think I, I've heard cases for adoption, and I've heard cases for this entire sector of the industry going going to zero, uh, as they say. So you know, I, I don't have a strong opinion other than I think, We have to create space for innovation. And I'm glad to see that we're putting rules around things. You know, this is the kind of definition that the entire industry has been really screaming for across the board, whether it's crypto or or blockchain technology in general or NFTs. We need clarity, we need rules, we need to understand. Uh, what is acceptable, what is not acceptable from a regulatory perspective so that we can move forward and really start to prove out these ideas at scale, you know, because gaming is its a massive industry. We're talking about billions of players around the world. And what's going to tell us whether or not this is a win is getting this into more hands and really
1: just letting the people decide. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Step 3 an engagement marketing platform that helps brands build deeper customer relationships. Step3 makes it easy to design custom-branded membership programs that include rewards like exclusive content, VIP event passes, merchandise, discounts, and more. Unlock new revenue streams It enhance customer lifetime value with Step3's easy-to-use, no-code tools. Go to step3.io to learn more.
1: The revolution of uh Web three and NFTs is uh, still uh, something that we will see, or or maybe we will not see, or maybe we will see in a different way. I'm talking about revolutions. Uh, one person in particular has a very strong opinion on how this is going to play, and uh, it's it's interesting to touch on this because he's um, he, he this is a person that wrote a, an opinion article on uh, on Web three wallets, and this is very specific to how marketing will. Uh, function in the future and there is a he's talking about how web 3 is going to bring a revolution to how marketing works and um, I, I found this article to be very interesting we're going to be talking about some of these uh, some of these angles and ideas here but um, but yes, what, what the what the author uh, basically states here is that marketing as, as we know it is going to go through a few changes and uh, we will see uh, what the impact of them of these changes uh, is but in the meantime it's going to be interesting to see what web3 can offer uh to 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 the marketing industry because um the, the way the way marketing works uh, until now is going to change in in his opinion and uh, web3 brings something completely new to the table uh that may may benefit uh, marketers so um maybe to cover this this opinion piece uh, nick do you want to Talk a bit about the the situation in marketing as uh, as uh, Nithin Kumar, who is the author, uh, sees it.
2: Yeah, so mm, I think you know, as you mentioned, he kind of points out four uh, areas that are implicated by this this uh, idea of cookie uh, cookieless internet. And so, you know, starting from the top here, it's it's very clear to all marketers that there's this huge increase in customer acquisition costs anybody in the digital space has seen digital ad prices go up and up and up and up. And it's, you know, it's it's a consequence of many more advertisers entering the space and also just kind of hitting market saturation with a lot of the sort of keyword, uh, keyword spaces that people are playing in. And so those customer acquisition costs are just sky, they're sky high right now. And I, d- I don't see a world where that goes backwards. I think that those costs are going to continue to increase. And so it's getting more and more expensive to bring in new customers. Um, Google, in, specifically in Chrome, is also phasing out third-party cookies by 2024. This is something that's been Um, On the table for a while uh, with Google, with the Chrome team in particular, and it's going to have a real impact for marketers. And so quick side trip on this one. Uh, Third party cookies. So so a first party cookie is given to you by the website you visit. A second party cookie could be uh, like a technology vendor, like a Google Analytics that's collecting data on the user on behalf of. Uh, the site that they're visiting and then a third- party cookie is behind the scenes and this is where it gets more shady for consumers because this this is a cookie that's collecting data behind the scenes about consumer behavior and then is used to basically feed advertising platforms with information about user behavior and so you know for a marketer that, creates options in terms of targeting and finding people in the wild, for a user, it's questionable because we're not always aware of how that data is collected, when it's collected, where it's actually sold and made use of. Um, And so Google actually has acknowledged this in their their roadmap for Chrome, and they're removing third-party cookie support, which is going to make it harder for marketers to target people based on their click behavior, it's going to be harder to personalize messaging for those users as well, since we won't know uh, what people are doing behind those clicks. Um, So that's a big change. The third thing he talks about is this increasing public public consciousness about online privacy. You know, this is one that I think, you know, even if you talk to uh, older generations who maybe are not as Internet savvy or don't, you know, haven't had the Internet in their life uh, for as long everybody is becoming aware of this sort of digital shadow that follows us around based on what we do. You know, we've all had the experience of searching for something and then we're just retargeted ad nauseum with ads for products like that. Um, And it's, it's really, it's, it's kind of unnerving sometimes the correlation between something that we do even on between devices, you know, you'll, you'll, look at something on one device and suddenly you're getting ads in a social stream on another device. And for the consumer, I think that's that's really, uh, it's a little bit frightening. You know, how do these devices, how do these companies collect this data and how are they tracking me around my everyday life? That's uncomfortable for a lot of people. And then finally, uh, he touches on this idea that global regulators um, are starting to catch up with the digital domain. Um, So it moves quickly. But I think regulators, at least in, in, you know, within the purview of this idea of digital privacy, are starting to really bring strong frameworks and laws around what we can't and can't do as digital marketers. And so, you know, things like GDPR, things like CCPA, various uh, privacy uh, frameworks all over the world are starting to account for this sort of safety of the consumer. Um, And so I think with that, you know, what, is he, what does he get into in terms of the cookie-less internet and what kind of opportunity that presents?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I have to make a very, very, very bad joke before we move on, because uh, I didn't know. I mean, I, I always I, heard I that Google's... Joke, go ahead. <laughs> I didn't know Google was so powerful that they could ban cookies altogether. <laughs> that was the joke. <laughs> 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 but before we move on to, to something uh, better than a bad joke... Um, Okay, we are gonna talk a bit about how Web three can help in here and how Web three can um, allow marketers to continue, for, let's say, nurturing this relationship with their users. But before, but, but instead of doing it like uh, as, as Kumar does in his piece, I think we could maybe connect this to the first piece that we covered today and talk about Lufthansa wallet, uh, sorry, Lufthansa's app. Under usage and the usage of NFTs. So, how something like this uh, Lufthansa program could overcome some of the um, obstacles that are that marketers are going to be facing in the future as these um, as these uh, things evolve. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Go no, for it. No, I, I,
2: I like the challenge. Um, so, you know, the cool thing about Web three from a data perspective, and we've we've had a few guests on the show, we've had a few conversations about this, but wallets, and in particular NFTs, provide the opportunity for the consumer to opt in in a new way. So similar to the way that a consumer opts in with an email address, and they agree to be in a relationship with a brand, consumers do that when they connect their wallet. And so when they connect their wallet, they're actually, they're basically opening up their treasure chest of assets, the things that they own, digital collectibles, NFTs, And they're saying, hey, brand, I would like to have a relationship with you. What can you do for me? And as as a brand, as marketers, we can then look at that wallet data and we can start to understand things about the consumer. So we can see things like in in the case of Lufthansa, you know, how many of these flights have you taken? How many travel upgrades have you had in the past? You know, again, not PII, but markers of engagement, which indicate behavioral Metrics or behavioral outcomes, and so we can start to use this wallet data as a way to segment users. We can use, you know, assign them some sort of uh, uh, customer persona when they come in the door. We can understand: are they a frequent shopper? Are they a high-value shopper? Uh, what do we want to do with that to make them feel special? I, I think the other cool thing about this is that they're inherently private. Um, so a wallet, because it is owned by the user, a wallet can be disconnected. From a property at any time. And so, you know, as long as marketers are doing the right thing here and they're not, you know, taking that data in and storing it about the user, you know, which you know, obviously puts their organization at risk from a digital privacy perspective, this is an opportunity for marketers to think about digital privacy in a new way, as sort of an on-again, off again, on again situation where a consumer can come along and say, Yep, I like what you're offering. Here's my data. Let's have a relationship. And then at some point, if they're done with that relationship or if the value proposition has changed for them, they can unplug for that, right? We've all had that experience. Brands come and go in our lives. And sometimes you're just you've moved past a brand or sometimes your life situation has changed. Uh, you know, we see this a lot when people, quote unquote, grow up and have families, right? You, you have new brands in your life at that point. Old brands go, new brands come. And so th- those are interesting moments for us as consumers when we should be able to decide, what we want our privacy to look like and with a wallet we can do that we can unplug that wallet and go to the next brand and and start a new relationship Um, so you know i think you know wallets from that perspective they put us in control they're also very dimensional so earlier we talked about this sort of uh you know multi-brand alliance if lufthansa and other airlines have these programs where the consumer has these different badges in their wallet that indicate their travel behavior You can imagine how that plays out if we start piling on other industries. You know, about a year and a half, two years ago, I wrote an article for Cointelegraph about this very subject of a future where we have this whole treasure chest of all of our interests, all of our activities that are represented in our wallets. And so it becomes this very multidimensional data set that we can allow access to and we can give marketers the opportunity to understand us better as customers so that we can get the best value and and the service that we deserve, um, so I think from that perspective they're really useful tools, from you know from a perspective of understanding customers, which ultimately, you know, if we're talking about the entire customer experience, I think leads us to a world where digital wallets can really
1: foster longer term and deeper customer relationships, and hopefully take you to Germany more often than uh, than not. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you Nick. That was a that was a nice answer to a curveball that uh, I just decided to throw at you. And uh well, if you if you liked what you heard, we, there's a lo- there's a loyalty series um podcast series four episodes with experts from the industry talking about how web3 impacts uh, loyalty reward programs. Um so it's uh, it's available uh, on uh, on YouTube. Uh, do check out the the link in the description if you want to access that series. And uh, well, hope, uh, hope you enjoyed this one. And uh, Mick, always a pleasure to be with you.
2: Certainly. Talk to you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to Marketing Meets Web 3. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast app.